normal study in uh, going through uh, the books of the Bible, and we are we are celebrating our Savior. I, I want you to just envision for a moment. It's kind of fun to get those those mental images, but I want you just to envision what that day must have been like. Think for a moment about the crowd. And the same crowd that just months earlier had, had heard Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles declare himself as the living water. Now gathers around Jesus. They're, they're there. They're excited. His disciples Oh, imagine the anticipation that was just building up within his disciples as they anticipated the week ahead and the events and, and the teachings of Jesus just were more powerful and powerful every time. They could, they could feel that there was a climatic event coming and now they are on the verge of the, the greatest celebration of the year, that of Passover. There was excitement there. And, and as they're excited, think about this as well. The town is just a buzz. I mean, days earlier, Lazarus. Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, was risen from the dead. This Jesus raised him from the dead. The people are talking about it, and they're just like, this Jesus, wow. I mean, put yourselves in that crowd. Those events occurring. What would be stirring in, in your thoughts and emotions as, as you pondered this? Maybe you were part of the crowd that, that was there when Jesus fed 5,000 people. Raises people from the dead. Heals the blind, the sick, the leprous. And here he is. Would you want to make him your king? You've been wanting a king for a long, long time. You've been wanting someone to come and correct the wrong. Would you want a king that could feed you? Would you want a king that could free you? Oh, they were under the oppression of the Romans. Surely he could free us. Would you want a king that could heal you? Or even bring those lost to death back to life? Let's make him king. And, and then you hear that this Jesus, this man, this prophet, something is now riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
Surely he must be the Messiah. I mean, Proverbs talks about in, in chapter 13 that a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. They had been longing for their Messiah. They had been longing for the one that would come and sit on the throne of David. That would hold the scepter of Judah. Oh, they had longed for this. And then they hear, this Jesus is coming. They get excited. They, they begin to break off branches and, and they begin to palm branches. And they lay their cloaks on, on the ground so as the donkey is traveling, no dust is stirred. Oh, a, a, a travel fit for a king. And he comes. And they wave the palm branches. I, I appreciate Nathan referencing that and, and sharing just, they would praise and they would shout. And, and do you realize what they were praising? What they were declaring? They were going back to the Psalms. The Psalms that they were singing and shouting and, and rejoicing over were called the Hala Psalms. The Hala, the Hallelujah Psalms. They were, they were focused on the promised Messiah. And these would have been songs that they had learned as children. Songs that they could recite out of just sheer joy and memory. It's interesting, we, we play the song nowadays, Amazing Grace. How many of you could sing that without words? Yeah, oftentimes we, we tell people they can open their hymnals. Nobody does. They just, they, they just worship God. That's the way these psalms were. They came to Him. They knew them by heart. They anticipated the Messiah that would one day come. Psalm 118, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. They're singing this as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. They're excited. But as we read our passage today, found in the, the Gospel of Luke, we, we read the excitement that's going on in the crowd. I mean, you can feel it. But there's a contrasting emotion that's expressed by our Savior Jesus. This week, as we enter the week called Passion Week, as we focus on the passion of our Savior Jesus Christ, I want us to contemplate the promises. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 35. It begins this way. They said, the Lord has need of it, talking of the donkey there. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully 
with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, oh, it must have been a scene. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Ah, uh, but Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Oh, I love that. When he had approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Promise. Promises. Many of us have made promises. Many of us have heard promises. I would venture to say there's many in this room who have been on the receiving end of a broken promise. A promise simply defined as a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. Yeah, yeah. Specified. To pledge to do, bring about, or provide. I love this definition. Reason or grounds to expect something. To be assured or sure of something to come. A promise. As, as we look at the scriptures this week, as we look at, at the promise that God gave, I, I want you to consider that. The anticipation that, that was there. And in, in, in the promise, there's, there's kind of that, that phraseology of giving one's word. How many of you are familiar with that? You give someone your word. Or you keep your word. As Jesus would come and teach, there was many who, who thought as long as they didn't swear by something, they could waver on their word. But Jesus teaches, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Why? Because at the very heart and character of our God is truth. Is a God who keeps his word. Who keeps his promises. God gave us his spoken word. God gave us his written word. And if that was not enough, God gave us the Word in the flesh. 
the Word became flesh to represent and declare His truth. And this week, as we consider the Word becoming flesh, His promises fulfilled, I want us to consider the power of God's Word. And he comes. The people are excited. But we see a contrast of emotion with Jesus. It says he was weeping. Weeping. He laments that day, not over the crowds that are there praising and and shouting Hosanna. He looks at those within Jerusalem and he weeps. Wearsby says this, he goes, No matter where Jesus looked, he found cause for weeping. If he looked back, he saw how a nation had wasted its opportunities, had been ignorant of their time of visitation. If he looked within, he saw spiritual ignorance and blindness in the hearts of the people. They should have known who he was. For God had given them his word and sent his messengers to prepare the way. As he looked around, Jesus saw religious activity that accomplished very little. I wonder sometimes what he would see in the church today. I wonder sometimes what he would see in your heart, in mine. Would it grieve him? Jesus laments, if only you had known this day. What should they have known? They should have known who Jesus was and when he was coming. The the scriptures declare it. I mean, think about it as, as Luke begins his gospel. Luke begins with the genealogy beginning with Adam and he takes it all the way to Jesus Christ. As you open the pages of scripture and you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, We see that Jesus, or God, sorry, that God, Jesus was there too, but in the garden, God promises one who would come, one who would crush the serpent's head. And we will look at that on Friday. As the pages of Scripture unfold, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10 says this. The promise given to Abraham that through Abraham's seed, through his descendants, all peoples, all nations would be blessed. And we see one of his sons, Judah, and as it says here in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of 
the peoples. Shiloh. Until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is often a, a designation of the Messiah. By definition, it renders whose it is. It's a title. The scepter, the rulership, the authority. Until the one who it belongs to, the power, the authority belongs to, comes. Looking ahead to the Messiah. Scripture would go on and King David would come from the tribe of Judah. We're looking at that in our Sunday school hour. But as David would, would come to the throne, he desired to build a temple for God. And God would tell him, no. But God would do something greater through David and his line. 2 Samuel, look at what God says to David. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. I don't know about you, but forever is a long time kind of goes on and on and on. In fact, it does not cease. What a statement. And David knew, David understood, Israel understood that from the line of David would come the Messiah and he would sit on the throne and rule forever. Are you beginning to understand why the people, as they saw Jesus, they heard the declarations of living water, they see him coming riding on a donkey, why they wanted to, to, to anoint him king? Because they knew the Messiah had the right to the throne. And they were looking, they were anticipating. I love that. Luke, in his gospel, as Jesus is born, it has a beautiful narrative of, of, of Christ's coming, and we celebrate that at Christmas. But as you read through that, the angels in, in Luke 2.14 would declare, glory to God in the highest. Sing that song, don't we? And on earth peace. He came riding on a donkey, extending and offering peace. Even announced at his birth. Zechariah. Nathan read that passage. Beautiful passage declaring it's one of these tabs. I have all these tabs. Sometimes you get confused. But Zechariah the prophet would declare, he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
And as Jesus rode in, as they declared that, as they shouted His praises, the prophets had declared it. And Jesus fulfilled it. It's interesting. The people there were rejoicing quite a bit. Shouting, cheering. Have you ever been in a mob, in a, in a large crowd that's just excited? It's kind of addicting, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you get the excitement built up with you. And here everybody's excited. The Messiah's coming. He's going to be king. He raised people from the dead. I mean, there's a lot to be excited for. But the religious leaders are not. They're not thrilled. In fact, they go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, shut them up. That's about basically it. Tell them to be quiet. Luke 39 and 40. But Jesus says, and I, I wonder what his face looked like as he turned to the religious leaders. He says, you know what? If they're quiet, if they're silent, those stones right there will start shouting. Why? Why would stones begin to shout? To cry out and, and declare, Hosanna! You ever thought about that? I believe the answer goes back to Daniel. I love the, the book of Daniel. That is an exciting one. And Daniel, as he's praying for Israel to be able to go back to the land, God reveals that he is working, but he is working in a way greater than Daniel could ever imagine. God reveals this to Daniel in chapter 9, beginning of verse 24. God says, Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal a vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Take note of verse 25. So you are to know and discern. There is something that was to be known and discerned. Listen to what it says. That from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah... The prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. As Daniel records the words of God declaring a timeline of when the Messiah would come, 
They knew it would come from Judah. They knew it would be the line of David and sit on the throne. The Messiah would come, but now there was a timeline. The clock would start ticking at the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, in 444 BC, the clock starts ticking. I would love to throw the math up and show you because I'm a geek that way, but we press on. The decree was declared in Nehemiah to rebuild. And the clock was counting down to the day their Messiah would come. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ, to the very day, the very hour, and I believe Christ could even do it to the very minute that that decree was stamped, signed into order, that Jesus mounted that donkey and began to proceed down the Mount of Olives, declaring Himself the Messiah. Because our God is that precise. Our God keeps His Word. And you know what? If the people didn't declare, Hosanna, here comes our Messiah, here comes our King, the rocks would. Because God had fulfilled His Word. I love that. But the question remains, was Jesus the Messiah? My son Preston is writing a college paper right now. He's titled his paper, An Answer Greater Than Yes. It's a great paper. But it looks at this very thing. He cites in Luke where, where John the Baptist is in prison. And he's beginning to doubt. And he sends a message to Jesus and says, Jesus, are you really the one that, that's promised? You know, sitting in a prison cell, you might think this isn't going how I thought it would. When Jesus hears the question, He gives a powerful, powerful answer. He turns to John's disciples and he says this. And he answered them, answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Jesus could have said, yeah, I'm the Messiah. But instead, he points John the Baptist to the Word of God. Because in Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah declares that the Messiah, the one to come, would do 
every one of those things. The Messiah. The religious leaders were looking. They just really didn't like what they found. He didn't fit their mold. And I wonder how many of us come to the Scriptures, we see this God, we see this Savior, and He asks of us things that make us uncomfortable. He challenges you and I to a life that isn't easy. Well, let's be honest, it's just sometimes we don't like what we find. That day, the religious leaders rejected their Messiah. God's word, his promise held true. The prophecy was fulfilled, promises kept. They should have known. Their Messiah presenting himself. If he is the Messiah, if he fulfilled all the prophecy, if God's word came true, then his death Oh, Nathan hit it right on the nail, right on the head. He had to die because the wages of sin is death. If he's the Messiah, his death, his burial, and his resurrection matter. And it means there should be a change in your life and mine. It should have impact. From the very beginning, God declared that one would come and one would have to die. The consequence for sin has always been death. And Jesus fulfills it. I want us to contemplate this week. This week of passion. This week of promises fulfilled. The extent of the cost. In the back at each of the doors is a basket of nails. I'd encourage you to grab one if you haven't already. Hold on to it this week. Keep it where, where you'll be reminded. Whether in a pocket, on your desk, whatever it is. And contemplate the promise God kept for you and for me. And the cost that was paid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.